Thank you for listening to this week's message from Go Church. We hope it encourages you today. For more information about Go Church, check us out online at letsgo.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Everybody say building stories. I want to share a little bit about my personal story. Now listen, I might have grown up a little bit different from you. I grew up in church, okay? So the doctor told my mom to push. I popped out on the pew and just slid down. I know it's a gross visual. I just slid down, hands in the air. I was just praising from day one. So if you grew up in church or maybe today is your very first church experience, you're all welcome here. This is a place to grow in your faith. It's not just for a certain kind of person, man. Go church is for everyone. So I'm so glad you're here. My experience growing up, I grew up in church, and I'm glad I did. I really am. I mean, some of my most formative experiences in church, seeing the power of God, the presence of God, being around the people of God, being involved in youth, and it was very, very important to me, and I'm so glad for it. Best mom and dad on the history of mom and dads in the planet, my mom and dad. But when I went to school at the University of Oklahoma my freshman year, Everybody has to make this choice that kind of grows up around a certain thing. Maybe you grew up in church and it wasn't a great experience. Maybe you grew up a certain way and it was a challenge for you later. When I went to school, I had to figure out, am I going to believe this on my own? Like for me, my mom and dad weren't making me go do anything anymore. Sunday morning felt really early as a Christian college student still. It was like, well, this is early. I didn't realize it. What am I going to do? Am I going to continue to be a Jesus follower? Am I going to do some other things? So my freshman year was kind of an adventure. So I remember riding in the car with some friends to this party, and one of these friends of mine passed over a bottle of Jack Daniels, and I remember sitting there, and I had this flashback. So I had some challenges with alcohol in high school and party scene things in high school, And I had promised God, look, when I go to college, I'm done with that. I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to go in reverse. I'm going to go forward. So I was really kind of trying, but still a college student, kind of navigating. I took a drink, and it wasn't my first drink of alcohol by any stretch, but it had been my first drink in a while. And I felt the Lord, I'm not kidding, just like push into my heart in that moment. It was like an epiphany clear moment. It was like God saying, you've got to choose. You have to choose right now. Are you going to choose to serve me, or are you going to choose to serve yourself? You can't have it both ways. Who are you going to serve? And it hit me, man, right in the heart. This was about halfway through my freshman year. And that night, I decided to go all in on my faith with Jesus as a college student. And I rebooted my friend circle and my friend group, and I started to attend this campus ministry. I'd grown up playing bass guitar, but had not played it in maybe six, seven months. I picked up that bad boy again, started playing in this campus ministry, ended up leading worship, rolls into my sophomore year. So my freshman year turned into this hungering zone for God. My sophomore year, I remember this night that It just changed my life. I went up into the facility that we were using for our campus ministry. It was an old bar that had been renovated into this ministry space. And big room, big stage, flat black wood. I came into this space on my own. I had the keys, and I was going to just pray. I turned on one light, turned on some music, and just started praying as hard as I knew how to pray. And for the first time in my life, I was asking God this question. 
God, what do you want to do with my life? I had some plans, some things that I thought I could pull off. I had blown out my knee last playoff football game senior year, had a reconstructive surgery, and I thought that was the coolest thing. Man, I saw the video, and I was like, I need to do this for a living. I mean, I could use power tools on humans, count me in, get paid for that. I'm all in. This is amazing. So I was kind of doing that track, but I never prayed about it, never gave any thought to what would God maybe have me do with my life. So I'm praying that night, God, what do you want me to do? Not just what do I think I can do or what I might like to do. What do you want me to do? And as I was praying, I mean, it was an ugly prayer. Have you ever had one of those? Just like you're praying so hard, like you're crying, you're snotting, it's all melding together. Like it's not a pretty scene. It's emotional. It's real. I grew up around God to know the presence of God. And the presence of God was in that place. And pressing it in my heart, I began to see images in my head of my friends, images from around campus, images of God moving, images of my friends coming to faith, images of ministry and ministry happening and lives being changed. And it was that night that God called me into ministry full time and it changed my life. I'm here today, really from a product of that night. Had that night never happened, I don't think I'd be here. I'd be cutting somebody up and hopefully sewing them back together. If you watch that clip out of context, that's going to be a viral moment. Pastor says he would cut up people. My story is powerful to me because it's mine. Now I want you to think about you. I want you to think about your story. I want you to think back about when God changed your life. You see, if you're a Jesus follower in this house, in this place right now, you have a story. You remember what your life was like before Jesus and what it's like after Jesus. You look back at the time that you were touched and transformed and changed. Maybe like me, you followed Jesus in college. Maybe last Sunday, Easter Sunday, was your very first time to ever consider something like this. And you came and you prayed a prayer and you're back today. I'm proud of you. We're going to do water baptisms. If you didn't sign up, just hop in later. We'll do it. It's all right. I want you to think back about when Jesus transformed you. That should never be a moment that becomes void of emotion. Where we just look back and it's just like, oh, yeah, it's just like a date on the calendar. That is when we went from death to life. Jesus has changed us. Jesus has forgiven us. He has given us a plan. He has given us a future. Come on, go church. Can we make some noise about that? I mean, come on. Can we say let's go? Can we say amen? Can we say thank you, Jesus? Can our praise testify that God is good? Your story is important. Your story is important. Every person in here is equally valuable to the Father. And we should work hard to value each other's story just as much as we value our own. But here's the deal. Although I'm thankful, I am so thankful for what God has done in me and in you. There are 2,000-plus stories that God wants to write in our community right outside of these walls. What are we willing to do to be a part of that? Brings us to the one big thing. I want you to write this down. One more story 
is worth it. One more story is worth it. I'm going to say that one more time, and when I get to the words worth it, I want us to say that together. One more story is worth it. Let's do it one more time. One more story is worth it. So we are in the beginning of our building story series. Again, this is not a financial series. It's not a giving series. It's not a money series. It's a vision series. So maybe you're new to Go Church, and you're like, what's the vision of Go Church? I'll tell you. Write this down. This is a bonus, bonus point. Write this down on your communication card. The vision of Go Church is to change the city and change the world. This is not a statement of arrogance. This is not a statement saying we're the only church trying to do something for the kingdom. It's a statement of responsibility. You see, there are people that are represented in this room simply from your relational circle. People that you know that nobody else knows. People that are in your life that might not ever come through the doors of Go Church. But it's our responsibility as the church, because remember, the church isn't a building. The church is the people. We have a church. Look around. It's a beautiful church. But we're going to build a permanent home. Our vision is to change the city and to change the world. It is to focus on our mission, and that's how we're successful as a church. We don't define success by the amount of money in the bank account. We define it by how do we execute and deliver on our mission. Our mission to live local, live out our faith in a transformative way here with our neighbors, with our people, at work to go global, send money, send finances, send ourselves around the world to see the kingdom expand and to live like Jesus. That's the discipleship component, man. To always be becoming more and more and more like him, more devoted followers of Jesus every single year. So that's what this series is about and how this facility can facilitate our mission becoming a reality in a more clear way in our neighborhood. So I want us to start with why. I think it's a good question to ask for a lot of things in our life. Not just what are we doing, but why are we doing them? Maybe more importantly, who are we doing them for? For example, in this life, are you doing everything you can just to build your kingdom, your portfolio, ownership, wealth, influence, or are you doing everything you can do to build his kingdom, taking what God has given you and being the most excellent manager that you could ever be, to give him praise, to give him glory? I don't think money is evil. I think the love of money is sad and tragic. God can use both. He wants to bless his kids, but we've got to be faithful to be the managers that he wants us to be. What is one more story worth? Why do this? I think we start to see the heart of that answer in Luke 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Sorry, CPAs, but you're in the same category as other notorious sinners. I'm <laughs> None of us still like taxes. But tax collectors back in the day, just so you know, were a pretty corrupt bunch. They, were take, they would always take extra money for themselves. They would pad all the things. They would do all the under-the-table nastiness. So everybody hated them. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I find that interesting. They wanted to go hear Jesus teach. 
Jesus was about reaching the unreached. So if we're going to live like Jesus, like our mission says, maybe we should take some truth from that. Maybe we should be focused on reaching the unreached. That is the only thing that we're not going to be able to do in heaven. You know that, right? We can praise. We can worship. We can serve. We're not going to be sharing our faith. We're already here. Think about that. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Back in this culture, eating with somebody was an intimate thing. It was a very personal thing. It wasn't just like some business lunch. It was a relational thing. They got mad at Jesus because Jesus wanted to spend time around sinners. This is something that Jesus was accused of all the time. The religious crowd, the religious leaders were always on his case about why do you hang out with a prostitute? Why do you hang out with a tax collector? Why do you hang out with somebody that's so overtly non-religious and selfish? Why? So in response to these questions... Jesus tells them a story. Luke 15. So Jesus told them the story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven. Watch this. There is more joy in heaven over one. Everybody say one. Everybody say one. More joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Have you ever lost something? Some of you guys were looking for your phone this morning. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? On the day when you're late, what do you lose? The keys. Tearing the house apart, yelling at each other. What did you say? What did you put them on? You kidnapped them. It hit them somewhere. Ripping the house apart. Oh, yeah, they're in my purse man purse. Have you ever lost something? I was thinking about said question this week. My mind goes to a moment that really happened. So my twins, Ethan and Levi, they're 16 now. At one point in their life, they were four and they were with my mom. So grandma decides to take the four-year-old boys to the mall. Mistake number one. Decides to take the boys to the mall. So Ethan and Levi are fast now, but I'm telling you, even at four, they were fast. So they're having a good time. Mom's telling me the story later when all of a sudden Levi decides to sprint. Just run. Not into a store, just run down through the mall. And so my mom, you know, she's still got Ethan. She's like dragging Ethan and yelling. Yelling at Levi, Levi, stop. I mean, imagine parents, you know what it's like if you lose a kid. Some of you do. I know you do. 
So mom is panicking. She is tearing up the mall, going into all these stores. Imagine how grandma feels. Now look, yes, they are identical twins, but that doesn't mean you can lose one because you got a backup. It doesn't, we want both of them. They're both unique. They're both individual boys. So my mom is tearing up this mall, and she finally, after about 10 minutes, she finally finds Levi. And what does she do, right? Big hug. Parents, if you've ever lost your kids, what do you do? Like, big hug, and then you beat them. That's pretty much what happens. <laughs> oh, I love you so much. Beat. It was a hugging and a beating all at once. So I want you to think about this, though. This is the key to the story. This is the key. If you read Luke chapter 15, read the whole thing. Parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. All these things that were lost, but then were found or returned. Many times we look at these and we misunderstand the point. In this story with my mom and my boys, who do you think suffered more? My mom or Levi? Think about it. My mom or Levi? Levi didn't know he was lost. Levi is probably having the time of his life. Going in whatever store he wants, whenever he wants, however long he wants. He didn't know he was lost, but my mom was like, he's going to run outside and get run over. You know, you get all these worst case scenarios. Somebody's going to kidnap him and put him into a windowless van forever. That was dark. That's what goes through your brain as a parent. You're like, they're dying right now. Right now, somebody has kidnapped them. I have lost this child. All the Amber Alerts. You're going through all this. So who suffered more, my mom or Levi? It was 10 minutes of agony for my mom. My mom was suffering the most, not the lost thing. So think about the lost sheep. I don't think the lost sheep was sitting there on the edge of a cliff contemplating sheep suicide. I don't think he was on the edge, like, cornered by a wolf, like, drooling, about to rip his throat out. I don't think that was happening. Sheep was probably in some green pasture, maybe drinking some sparkly stream water. Maybe the sheep was having the time of his life. It didn't even know it was in danger. But the shepherd knew. Here is the point. We cannot miss the point of this story. The main character isn't the sheep. It's the shepherd. It's about God. It's about your father. It's about how he feels about you. Because remember, at one point in our life, we were all the one that Jesus left the 99 to go find. So God experiences two things. God does two things in this story. Here's the first one. Write it down on your communication card. God does two things. Write this down. God suffers. God suffers in this story. Why? The shepherd is suffering. Why? I'll tell you why. Because like any father, he cannot rest until his children are home. I hope you've never had the feeling of a child being gone somewhere, you don't know where they are for a night or two or more. How devastating that might feel. We had a Go Church family. This was maybe three, four years ago. And Becky and I got this call from the dad, and 
teenage son, he's probably 15 years old, was missing. And Becky and I go into like hunt mode. All right? We're on it. Let's get after it. So we're talking to people online, Facebook. We go driving around the neighborhood. I tell Becky, hey, drop me off at Target. I go into Target. Man, I'm walking up and down every single aisle. I'm trying to find this kid. I go to the security guards. Here's a pastor. I'm like, hunter, teenage hunter, pastor. I'm going to the security guard. Can we look at footage? I want to see if there's footage in here of him leaving, coming, or going so we get a timeline. Where's this kid at? So we're looking, we're looking, can't find him. Hours, can't find him. Through the night, cannot find him. Imagine how those parents felt. This kid had a history of some substance issues, not making great decisions. Think about where those parents were in their mindset. All the worst case thoughts, right? In a ditch somewhere, overdosed somewhere, doing something, hurting himself somewhere. I mean, you go through all of these things. We find him about a day later. And let me tell you, it was parental torture. This is how God feels when one of his children are not home. It bothers him so much that he gave and did everything he could in the universe to make sure none of his kids would be lost. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live the life we could never live, to be our salvation, to make us clean, to help us have a relationship with him, to be able to come home. But God suffers. The second thing is this. God rejoices. When that lost thing is found, when that lost son comes home, God rejoices. Luke 15. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Write this down. Don't miss this. The party in heaven. Write this down somewhere. The party in heaven is our purpose on earth. Our purpose on earth is to get the party started in heaven. We cannot take our checkbook to heaven, but we can take our children. We cannot take our mutual funds to heaven, but we can take our family. We can't take our portfolio, but we can take our neighbors. The only thing that we can take home with us are names and people. I want you to think back about your story. Think back and remember that at one time you were the one that Jesus left all the others to go find. So think about what is one worth. Think about the thousands of people that will end up calling Jesus Lord, Savior, understanding God as Father in a new facility home that we build. The spiritual change and the life change is going to happen in that place because we're here, because we're not leaving, because it's permanent. Is it worth it? I think a soul is worth it. If it was one, I think it would be worth it because that one could have been you. It could have been me. I want you to think about what is a soul worth as we watch Andy's story together. Let's watch it. Hey, I'm Andy. Um, I am originally from Chicago, currently a cardiologist working in Denver. I uh, live here with my family, my wife Erin, my three kids. I'm just excited to be a member of Go Church. I will forever be a Bears fan. 
but we love it here in Denver. We love Goat Church. We got number one here. Oh, this hurts. Why are the Bears doomed to lose? Nick, I'm tearing that one up. Listen, the Bears are not doomed to lose. They have an amazing GM in Ryan Polis. They got the right Ryan this time. Ryan Pace wasn't doing it. He's putting together a great team. We'll see the Broncos in the Super Bowl soon. It's happening. It's a good one. How did my journey start at Go Church? Uh, well, that's an easy story uh, for me to tell because I remember it so well. You know, um, Aaron and I have three little kids, and we're just thinking about you know how we can instill in them the importance of something larger than themselves, and so. Church had always been that natural thing for Aaron. I had never really had that in my life, and so we, so naturally we just started seeking out uh, a good church, and our good friends, the Shinnegers and the Cortes, uh, encouraged us to go to Go Church, and this is back when we're in the, when the, we're in the elementary school. Um, and so we started going, kids are going to Go Kids, they're digging that, um, but like what surprised me was that, you know, I'm tuning in these messages every week uh, that Pastor Nick is giving, and, and they are just, you know, leveling me, you know, like I, what's resonating with me is how he's able to tie the gospel to everyday challenges. And I'm, you know, as somebody not coming from faith, you know, I always sort of thought of religion as this very disconnected thing. And here it was, you know, pounding me in the chest with some very real realities. Um, And so that was kind of the first challenge to me. And the next thing that happened was, um, you know, I can't even remember why I did this initially, but I reached out to Pastor Nick. I was like, hey, man, can we have coffee? And, you know, I sort of professed to him at that time. I was like, you know, this whole faith thing isn't really for me. I'm not, I'm not really going to be into that, you know. But uh, my family's going to be here, and, and that's really why we're doing it. And I just remember the, the, you know, total acceptance of that in his eyes when I said that, but also the genuine sort of, Hey, let me let me put this back at you. Um, you're gonna get as much out of this as you put into it, and if that's all you're gonna put into it, you're not gonna get much out of it. And so, I don't know. I think it's been six years now. Uh, here we are, and you know I'm excited to be getting baptized today because uh, that's a big step for me. All right. So what about Aaron? Um, okay. Um, so, gosh, uh, my first attempt at getting baptized is, is actually not today. <laughs> we were scheduled to be baptized almost two years ago. Um, and um, what happened next was that uh, Aaron, my wife, was diagnosed with leukemia uh, the Sunday that we were supposed to come in. Um, and, you know, it's honestly sort of a blur now, and I'm just gonna save the punchline. Aaron's doing great now, so like, don't worry in this story. But, um, you know, there were just so many things, you know, it felt like that it happened that Sunday, and that um, God had had Aaron's parents here for that, um, and that I had just started this new job that was incredibly supportive of me, um, you know, taken the time that I needed to support Aaron during this and like I don't know like that's the thing that sticks out to me the most still to this day is that um, here I was the biggest challenge in the world you know my wife is diagnosed with cancer um, and uh, 
you know, I felt like God had put me exactly where I needed to be. And that, honestly, just that initial feeling is really what carried me through, you know, through all the crap that we had to deal with in the next three months, um, four months, I mean, year, we're still dealing with it. You know, it's always a challenge when you've been through something like that. Um, but I, I can't help but feel that uh, God was looking out for me um, and looking out for us, you know, looking out for my family. I just need a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a lot. You know, you can be like sort of surprised by your response to something and like, yeah, I don't know, I know that's interesting. Whew. Okay. Nope, not ready yet. How has following Jesus changed me as a dad? Um, wow, I mean, that is, uh, I think that's probably the single most important thing that's happened to me, honestly. Um, you know, and, and a lot of that, I have to give credit to the, to the ministry and, and just the messages that I was, I was just hearing here in this room, you know. And I'll be totally straight about this. I'm not doing a lot of homework outside of here, okay? Like, this is where I come, and I, I, I really try and dig into this time because this is a time that I have for it. Um, and every week, the messages challenge me to be a, a better dad. And I can give, like, I am a, I'm a big person, okay, right? And I carry a lot of energy, and that, that energy can be really good, and sometimes that energy can be really bad. And um, I'll just say anger. Like I struggle with anger with my kids. And I learned so many skills being in this room, um, you know, reading the gospel that, that Nick has challenged me to read at times. And um, I really think that it, hel it has helped me channel that in a totally different way. I am loving, I am fun with them. Like I don't even get mad anymore. I mean, like, it's, it's kind of crazy. And, I, like, this is a, a transformational thing that I practice every night. I put the, the messages, the few verses that I've picked out for me into my phone. I got seven of them, and they rotate every week. And they tell me um, that, you know, uh, my family is more important than my anger and that, you know, the strongest people are gentle. And it's, it's that sort of thing. What excites me the most about building stories? Um, okay, well, I'm gonna take this a little bit different place. Uh, well, I think this is an interview, so I get to pick where it goes. But the, when I hear the word building, I naturally think of building a home for us, right? You know, um, that we're building this, you know, planning to build this awesome building here in town um, that's gonna be our permanent home. Um, and, you know, the, I want to joke that like the best part of that is I'm not going to have to walk the two blocks down, you know, to drop my kid at Go Kids. Um, but that actually has a feel to it too. Like the kids are going to be under the same roof as me. We're all going to be worshiping together. They're going to exit out of their classrooms and come and join us. And we're going to be families hanging out together in this awesome new home. And so um, I, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm Andy and I'm building stories. Thank you, Andy. What a tremendous story.
Look, we're not just building a building. We are building stories. It's all about life change. It's all about the gospel reigning. It's all about the kingdom growing. And I want us to be excited about that. What is another story like that worth? What are we willing to do to help turn vision into reality? I want to give you three things, three ways to take action. Grab your communication card. We're going to hit these quick. The first one is this. I will commit to pray for this person until May 7th. So on your communication card, maybe make this a family exercise. Take it home. Get your kids involved. Get some names in this blank. More than one. Pray for them from now all the way until Commitment Sunday. Pray and pray and pray that God would touch their life, touch their heart. Number two, you write this down. I will ask God, this is so important, what do you want me to give over the next two years? This commitment can't be just an emotional commitment. It can't be a commitment you make to me, to your spouse. It's got to be a commitment that you make to the Lord based on what you feel like he wants you to do. When challenging times come, you've got to know this is something that God wants me to do. We're going to stay faithful with this, and we're going to carry it through, begin to pray that. And number three, I will come to church on May 7th. Everybody say May 7th. May 7, prayed up, fired up, and ready to give. This is our commitment day. This is how we get off to a good start. Now, if you've ever played sports, if you've ever run track, if you've ever started a business, I want you to think about the starting blocks. I want you to think about getting down and getting off to a good start. The start will dictate our pace It will dictate when can we put a shovel in the ground and break ground. It will dictate the timeline. So I want us to get off to a phenomenal start. I want to ask our host team. I want to make sure every family unit has two things. Every family unit has one of these, and every unit has one of these. Okay, so if you do not have them yet, could you put your hand up, and our team's going to make sure you get one in your hand. Is there anybody who does not have one yet? Can you go right over here, make sure these guys are good, right up here? So I want you to get this, and I want you to open up this to page. Lots of good stuff in here. Man, I love looking through this book. Vision, pictures, testimonies about what you're excited about. Turn to page 13. It looks like this. May 7 goal. May 7th goal. On May 7th, we want to give on that day $300,000 plus in a special gift one-time giving moment. We've never done this in the history of Go Church. I'm excited about it. This is also the day that we make our two-year commitment. So we are pushing to see $1.5 million in new money given over two years. So our lender will take all of these commitments and he will use that to calculate what do we need to finance and how are we going to do this and the timeline. So May 7th isn't the finish line. It's the starting line. We are popping out of the block saying, here we go. And I'm excited about that. So I want you to be praying. I want you to be thinking about what God would have you give. This is the time to start talking to financial advisor. If you don't have one or if you need advice or help, I am more than willing to help. We can connect you with some great people. And start thinking about, God, what do you want me to do? 
I'm believing that there are people in Go Church. I believe that what we need, what God needs is in the house. It's in the house. And this is a moment, Go Church, hear me, where we need to take responsibility for our future. This is the part where we, as a body, need to say, I am going to sacrifice. I'm going to take my giving. And my giving is going to represent sacrifice times faith. And I'm going to sacrifice sustained over two years, more than I've ever done. I'm going to commit a new percentage of my income to this project. An important thing to think about is giving out of transferred wealth, stored wealth. Maybe some of you have portfolios, you have stocks, you have things that you've been saving, praying about, God, what do you want to do? God, if this is all yours, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. Everything that God needs is here. That's the good news. The challenging news is we've got to give it. And reality will turn into what we have envisioned for a year or two. And God's going to get all the glory, man. Let's pray. God, we love you today. We just want to be faithful with what you've called us to do. It's your timeline. It's your finances. We're your people. God, help us to know what to do. Help us to believe you. Help us to understand it's not just about how much it costs. It's about how much it's worth. What is a soul worth? Help us to have that same shepherd's heart that is willing to leave comfort or to leave 99 to go find the one. God, help us to remember today that at one point we were all the one that you left the 99 to go find. God, help us as we push into the future to say we're doing it for your glory. For your glory, God, to deliver on our mission, to give you praise, to be able to step back and say, look what the Lord has done. Look how the Lord has blessed. Look at the families that are being changed, the kids that are being changed. The next Andy, or two, or three, or four. I want to give you an opportunity. You're in this place today. Maybe you have been a... Maybe you've been a sheep on the run. You've been running through the mall of life. And today, you are feeling your shepherd's voice, saying it's time to stop running, it's time to come home. Jesus is here for you. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. God loves you. He's not angry with you. He wants to get generous with you. And I want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer, to make Jesus the Lord and the leader of your life. The Bible says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. If we'll believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And I want to give you an opportunity to believe and to follow Jesus. He came to this earth. He gave his life on the cross. He was in the tomb one, two, three days. He was resurrected from the dead. He's alive and he has a plan for you. If you want to make Jesus the Lord and the leader of your life, pray this prayer with me right now out loud. Say, Jesus, thank you for speaking to my heart. I ask that you would forgive me of every sin. I'm making you the Lord and the leader of my life. And I'm going to live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. To stay in the know with Go Church, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at letsgo.church. You can also download our app from the App Store by searching Go Church. Have a great week and God bless.